Welcome to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the queer James Bond podcast. I'm Andrew Wheeler. And I'm Shane Holland. For this episode, we are continuing our exploration of Bond-inspired movies with the 1973 blaxploitation classic Cleopatra Jones, a movie featuring beautiful women, fast cars, larger-than-life villains, and a glamorous special agent whose name everyone seems to know. <laughs> Before we meet Ms. Jones, Shane, have you been up to anything very Jonesy this week? Actually, <laughs> I have. Uh, I... I felt like living my Diamonds Are Forever fantasy, and I really felt like a true Bond woman, and I went and got my earlobes pierced for the first time ever. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. I have, <laughs> it's so strange. I have a cartilage piercing already. That was my first piercing. Uh, I have piercings that I won't talk about on the podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, for whatever reason, it was a giant leap for me to take to get my actual earlobes pierced because, you know, they are so visible, uh, and they can, I know, I don't know. They just seem so synonymous with, piercing i i just <laughs> couldn't believe i didn't have it and it was so easy i went with uh my great one of my best friends ronnie uh they are uh the co-host of uh worse than the borg with me mm-hmm. uh and we went and held each other's hands and got it <laughs> did and oh god it was a great day i love how they look i feel like i've always had them you can go over to my instagram at shane came back and see what i look like because i've definitely uh lent into feeling my fantasy That's this week one more prick for covid season <laughs> uh, i'm sure you mean that about the rings and not, <laughs> not my charming personality <laughs> did, did, do you have diamonds in there now then is that uh i mean sure we'll call them diamonds <laughs> but yes i i have some fantastic cubic zirconia starter rings Beautiful. Uh, and i i plan on uh getting myself some, you know, conflict-free uh, diamonds mm-hmm. in the future to replace them. Yeah, if someone had asked me if you had pierced ears, first of all, I would say, why are you asking me that question? That's a very good <laughs> question. But I would have thought you did. Yeah, it absolutely feels like you already did. So, oh, Well, thank you. It feels natural, <laughs> it feels great, and I'm just loving it. Uh, anyways, enough about me. How about you, Andrew? What's the bondiest thing you've done this week? Oh, sorry. What's the Jonesiest <laughs> thing you've done this week? Well, I'm going to stick to Bond for this one because it, oh. it, it has connotations <laughs> otherwise um like james bond whenever he's in north america i treated myself to some fried chicken uh this week um, so <laughs> let's not call it a jonesy thing uh, no <laughs> she would be furious <laughs> she would be quite rightly so um but yeah james bond loves fried chicken it's a strange but true uh, fact and as as someone who's fast approaching his double o retirement age i don't get to enjoy fried chicken <laughs> that often uh these days i have to I have to watch these things. Um, but I did discover that Mary Brown's, which is a Newfoundland chicken chain, has opened a downtown Toronto uh, outlet in the Danforth. So uh, myself and, and Carl Schurer, who, of course, designed our beautiful graphic, um, we, we we had a lovely day in the Danforth. We went to the oh. Secret Print Shop, which is this beautiful, tiny little shop that sells, like, handmade prints and, uh, and art projects and beautiful things. And then we went for fried chicken. And Mary Brown's is... Very excellent fried chicken. Um, they also serve a banana pudding, which is a very nostalgic treat. So I had a very naughty day uh, eating things that, that James Bond <laughs> would approve of. 
Well, good for you for treating yourself. <laughs> you know, I grew up uh, just around the corner from a Mary Brown's oh, yeah. and uh, I'm sure you would have loved it, but it was not my thing, believe it or not. <laughs> I was into my my dad's fried chicken, personally. Of course. <laughs> well, yes, homemade fried chicken is best, for sure. <laughs> Well, speaking of things that uh, you won't be able to enjoy as you approach your 007 retirement age, <laughs> for every episode of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we recommend a drink or cocktail or something that just matches the theme of the episode, or maybe it just matches our mood. Well, this week it's my turn, and I have picked a cocktail that I think matches this movie fantastically. <laughs> uh, now, there were a few that I was thinking about possibly uh, choosing, but they're disgusting. <laughs> but I, I picked them out anyway because uh, I thought that the names were absolutely appropriate for the movie. There's the classic, like, college bar shots, liquid cocaine and liquid heroin. Uh, they are just so sweet and sugary and pepperminty and herbal and they're so disgusting but i mean liquid cocaine was absolutely the first shot i ever took in a bar <sighs> that's yeah an ounce of goldschlager an ounce of jagger an ounce of peppermint schnapps mix it with ice and a shaker and serve that in shot glasses like you know serve that in three shot glasses you don't do right, that right. in one go that <laughs> might kill you my god um, and then there's the alternative liquid heroin, which is uh, the same thing minus the gold schlager. Um, but yeah, they are just syrupy, really revolting <laughs> drinks that I cannot recommend in good conscience. <laughs> Cleopatra Jones would toss them in the toilet and flush them away and she would be right to do so. Yeah, with a very serious <laughs> look on her face. No, no, I went with something much more appropriate, I think, uh, to our star of this week's film. I went with the Queen Bee. It mm. is another variation of a classic. Uh, you've got an ounce and a half of bourbon. You've got three quarters of an ounce of Amontillado sherry, three quarters ounce honey syrup or you can make thyme and honey syrup if you're really Ooh. fancy uh and a quarter ounce of fresh lemon juice so yes once again i've chosen a bourbon sour but <laughs> i think uh that a splash of sherry really changes the flavor of a of any cocktail uh, and then add the thyme and honey syrup, and you've got something that's really, like, nutty and uh, almost floral sweet, in a way, uh, refreshing. Uh, you combine all of that in a shaker with ice, mix it, strain it into a coupe glass, and you garnish it with a thyme sprig or a lemon wheel, and it looks absolutely stunning, just like Cleopatra Jones herself. <laughs> Sounds delightful. I love the idea of making that herb-infused syrup as well. Yes, me too. I think it's something I'm going to try for myself at home. We have a little bit of Bond news to, to discuss this episode, or sort of Bond-related <gasps> news, um, though it's kind of bittersweet. Um, Reggae Jean Page, who we have uh, named as one of our top picks to play James Bond, has instead been cast as the lead in The Saint. Um, this is another iconic Roger Moore role um, that, uh, you know, doesn't preclude page from playing bond but it means that he's probably going to be pretty busy uh hopefully kicking off his own sort of uh thrilling espionage franchise um and i'm very excited to have you know another shot at the saint as a as a movie franchise i feel like you know it, it's great to see 
these kinds of fun, light uh, espionage-style uh, series getting another shot. There was the Val Kilmer movie uh, back in the, mm. I guess, late 90s, maybe? Yeah, um, yeah. That was not great. Um, no, no. But I think for, <laughs> for Paige, like, it's a chance for him to be suave and dashing and handsome and, and, and kick butt and wear tuxedos. Um, and I'm into that whichever franchise he's doing it in. So um, glad that he's getting a, a hopefully a heavyweight franchise. Hopefully it will endure. Um, sorry that it means that he won't be Bond, at least not for a while. Probably unlikely that he ever will be just because you don't do one of those roles and then the other, even though that's exactly what Roger Moore did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he was a very special man, that Roger Moore. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, do you, are you familiar with The Saint at all as a franchise? I must say, I mean, other than I think a passing knowledge of that Val Kilmer film, I didn't realize that it was a Roger Moore, like, touchstone really yeah. uh so no i can't say i'm very familiar with it but i am excited for reggae jean page to uh get this chance and also for more yeah like thriller spy movies to be out there uh yeah it's good to have a breadth of stuff to talk about particularly for this podcast <laughs> yes yeah yeah let's let's hope that uh the the first movie is something we can we can get to talk about before we run out of bond movies to talk about <laughs> <laughs> which will happen very soon <laughs> i'm coming down on you so hard Tamara Dobson, the Soul Sisters answer to James Bond, and the most exciting new star in years. Six feet two of dynamite, and it's all stacked. I told you where! And I told you when! And I told you how to get that! Cleopatra Jones. She is sticking her nose in my business, sir. And up against her is the arch enemy, the female successor to Goldfinger, two-time Academy Award winner Shelley Winters as Mommy. That was a clip from the trailer for Cleopatra Jones, the 1973 blaxploitation classic from director Jack Starrett and screenwriters Max Julian and Sheldon Keller, and starring Tamara Dobson, Bernie Casey, Shelley Winters, and Antonio Fargas, with music by J.J. Johnson and costumes by Giorgio de Sant'Angelo. Warner Brothers was hoping to launch Cleopatra Jones as a franchise in the model of the Bond movies and build on the success of 1971's Shaft. Unfortunately, the decline in popularity for blaxploitation movies in around the mid-70s meant that only one sequel was ever created, and audiences were robbed of the chance to enjoy decades of Cleopatra Jones movies featuring a string of actors in the leading role. However, Warner Brothers is currently working on relaunching the series with Lovecraft Country writer Ihoma Afordire working on a script. I'd seen the 1973 Cleopatra Jones before, but Shane, I know this was a new experience for you, so I'm curious, what were your first impressions, and more generally, what's your relationship to the blaxploitation genre? Well, I mean, first of all, I just absolutely loved it. Oh my <laughs> god, this film was so refreshing. Oh, it was just so great. There was legitimate social commentary. It not only felt fresh for us in our podcast, mm -hmm. but it felt disturbingly relevant today, nearly 50 years later. Uh, also, the fashion, incredible. The dialogue on par with the best Bond films. And the action was just sickening. I literally <laughs> screamed and gasped with shock and delight for 88 minutes. Oh, 
I have seen, unfortunately, precious few black exploitation films. Uh, or maybe I've seen enough black exploitation <laughs> films, depending on who you ask. Uh, I do remember when I was 14, I watched the Samuel L. Jackson Shaft remake, which came out that year. I fell in love with it, and then I went and sought out the original Richard Roundtree film and absolutely loved that. Of course, my dad was obsessed with that I loved both of those films uh, <laughs> because he was a young person when that first one came out. Uh, and I definitely dressed as Shaft for Halloween in 2000. Uh, I was A, too old to be trick-or-treating, and B, I confused a hell of a lot of suburban white parents that night. Yeah, I feel like I should maybe explore the genre more. Like, I've only seen a few movies here and there, Cleopatra Jones and, and its sequel being two of my favorites. Like, I feel like there's a lot of great stuff in there, but also you're going to wade through a lot of trash to find it. Mm-hmm. But there, yeah, I mean, every time I read about black exploitation, I keep uh, running into Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to see that film uh, very soon. Uh, I need to see Foxy Brown. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and maybe one of the few sequels. Um yeah, I, there, there's definitely some stuff in there that's worth revisiting, I think. Yeah, the Pam Greer canon, I think, is probably worth checking out. And maybe some of the, like, the, the black exploitation horror movies, like Blackula, there's, there's gotta be some entertainment value in those. I mean, there has to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> Though probably not something we can talk about on the James Bond podcast. We'll have to save that for our <laughs> Hammer Horror podcast or something. I, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. Uh, starting this fall. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the plot. The movie opens on a desert scene in Turkey. A helicopter descends and the credits roll as Joe Simon performs the title song, Theme from Cleopatra Jones. Uh, there was no gun barrel opening no. once again. Uh, <laughs> I just want to point that out. But there were lots of desert and there was a camel, singular, <laughs> just one camel. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little like alarming you know, watching this movie for the second time. I'm like, why is this movie starting on a shot of a camel? I don't remember camels <laughs> in this movie. That's very strange. It's because it's about fashion and we all know camel fur <laughs> is the height of fashion. Oh, true. Uh, <laughs> um, and yes, we don't get a sort of pre-title credit unless you count that panning shot from from camel to helicopter as your pre-title <laughs> sequence we pretty much just kick straight into the theme and it is a very slick and funky and smooth opening i scene, mean uh, music isaac hayes uh certainly leaving an impression for all film scores <laughs> to come in the 70s this theme song might as well just be shaft but written for cleopatra i absolutely yeah. loved it yeah there's a lot of that sort of wah 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 sort of uh, <laughs> sound she is the boss, or whatever it is they sing, yeah. <laughs> Cleopatra Jones emerges from the helicopter, welcomed by military dignitaries. She then oversees the aerial bombing of a field of opium poppies. Ooh, Russians. Uh, <laughs> I literally gasped when she stepped out of that hel- helicopter yeah. with those furs first. It was just incredible. All I wrote was, she's fucking gorgeous. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> what an entrance, baby. Yeah, I mean, Tamara Dobson was a model rather than an actor, and she, she does give a bit of a model's performance in this movie, but it's like... <laughs> a little bit. She's, she is stunning. I mean, she's statuesque. She's gorgeous. She has the most She's six foot skin. two. <laughs> yeah. Um, she wears everything like it was made for her. It probably was, let's be honest. Um, oh, yeah. And I love the way... Everyone in this movie is just sort of like falling at her feet. Like she is an icon and everyone knows it. She is, she is the queen. And so the fact that this movie is set up 
this character by establishing her as like the most important person to arrive at this ceremonial destroying of the poppy field <laughs> um like it's so weird but it's such a fabulous like instant oh this is cleopatra jones you do not mess with cleopatra jones i like that you understood that they were choosing to bomb the poppies i thought that she was landing in there like oh my god she is in the middle of all of these people who are you know profiting off the poppies <laughs> <laughs> these generals right and, Polit- politicians there's no way that they are doing the right thing in destroying the opium <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, not everyone there seemed to be on board there was this sort of cartoonish arab man clutching his head in horror as the poppy field oh. went up so you know black exploitation movies also have their problems with the representations of other races sometimes other races <laughs> with the, the black representation well, yes. <laughs> i mean yeah there's a lot of uh ooh, stereotyping in this movie uh we'll get into it <laughs> yeah i mean it, ultimately we must remember that this was still a movie made by white people like it stars black people um exactly there is there is that difficult dance to do where you know clearly the black people making the movie they have something to say and the movie is trying to be a good ally in for the most part i think but also yeah bumbling along the way that white allies do (laughs) yeah exactly uh well this film already though it feels expensive am i right like yeah it feels like a lot of money went into this film uh i was shocked like the effects uh the sets uh the the fashion yeah it felt it yeah it was luscious looking it already in this opening scene and already far more entertaining than this bond equivalent (laughs) i don't think they flew out to turkey though i think this is a (laughs) (laughs) obviously it's like the back lot california (laughs) yeah (laughs) la Um, yeah yeah my first great line in this uh, there's so many good lines but um Mm, oh god we'll get into it (laughs) cleopatra saying to the the sort of the the fussy english general who is overseeing this um saying that's right baby 30 million worth of shit that ain't going in some kid's veins burn it burn it and (laughs) she stands alone on a hillside her cape flapping in the breeze as 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 the uh planes strafe these poppy fields it's amazing yeah really beautiful (laughs) really beautiful the way she just just, like throws the cape over her shoulder oh yeah <laughs> loved it in los angeles drug kingpin mommy is enraged to hear of jones destruction of her poppies she decides to lure jones back to la by targeting b and s house a drug recovery center that jones helped create what an introduction <laughs> to ms shelly winters am i right <laughs> oh my goodness it's such a, a welcome to the stage moment she's she's literally just screaming and yelling she is potty mouthed as hell uh, she is dressed up like she she gets some great outfits in this movie as well oh, and some great yeah. wigs like she's she's going through the full tiffany case selection box in this movie <laughs> we get to see them presented to her yeah yes, yes. <laughs> um yeah gold statement jewelry this giant red and white house coat that is that feels sort of the epitome of you know full-figured ladies of that era um, to, to wear these sort of giant house coats that are just a, a little bit frumpy and at the same time a little bit fabulous uh, yes uh yeah i i mean one of her first lines that goddamn black bitch 
bitch. I mean, I hate Mother already, but <laughs> she's also kind of hilariously fabulous. You can't you can't not love Shelley Winters yeah. in this role, I feel like. She's just so she is at 110 for <laughs> 110% of this movie. Absolutely. She absolutely is. And she is not a coded lesbian. She is an unambiguous proud lesbian who is uh there for the world to see she she yeah. has a, a series of lovers uh in this movie like like any male supervillain might um which is both great and you know technically problematic but in that sort of wind kid way where it's like you hate to see it you love to see it yeah exactly exactly it's a horrible stereotype of a of like a butch yeah. a butch lesbian but I mean, it's all, they also don't hand wave around the fact. It's none of like, mom doesn't care for men like the other girls, like they would do in a Bond yes. film. It's like actually straight up, like she hits, she hits on three of her different, uh, I don't know, women like that just hang around. <laughs> uh, mollies? Uh, molls? Yeah. What are they called? Uh, <laughs> speaking of mollies, sweet satin Brucie, an, an, an undervalued supporting character there. Um, this incidental hottie with the glasses I wrote who kind sure. of looks like John Hamm. Yeah, he has this sort of poised <laughs> elegance, these really beautiful eyes um, and the fact that he's introduced a sweet satin Brucie is like, okay, so so there's more than one homosexual in this movie yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, the only, my only complaint is that sweet satin Brucie does not have a bigger role to play in this movie oh yeah agreed uh this uh, this feels like we're watching the real detroit purple gang <laughs> yes fleming could only dream of such things <laughs> the police raid b and s and one of the cops finds heroin on one of the recovering addicts uh all cops Ooh. are bastards Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, fucking cops as always. All <laughs> cops are bastards. That's my first note. <laughs> yeah, I wish any of the behavior of the cops in this movie felt shocking or even a little bit surprising in uh, this, the year 2021. But uh, even the guy who is repeatedly waving a shotgun around indoors at a range of two feet doesn't feel like a surprise or a, like a, a shock moment in this movie. No, not at all. It's the exact same problems black people are facing to this day yeah. i mean it, it's just so in your face we get a great performance from one of the uh, the recovering addicts here uh, the, the character's mm. name is jimmy beaker um who is it's one of the first times in this movie that you realize that as cartoonish as it is there's also going to be some real like wrenching uh reality sort of peppered throughout it and this guy's performance is genuinely like it's it's a little histrionic but at the same time like in the in the context of everything that's going on it feels kind of real yeah if there's so many grounded moments in this movie yeah um and i absolutely love the scene that you're talking about uh there's like this horror movie framing as the cop it, with the shotgun is walking towards his victim yeah. like the like Jimmy Beaker is huddled in the very far corner of the screen with this kind of forced perspective and then it cuts to this cop walking slowly and menacingly towards a very still camera it was like straight out of halloween yeah. it it was yeah truly frightening and i it, it makes me feel like the cinematography of this film is right on. Like mm. they really knew what they were doing here. Well, and it's also a great bit of sort of, you know, leading the eye because they're trying to set up that one cop to be the one that you're like, Oh, he's the bad he's guy. The he's yeah. the one. Um, and as we will get to later, you know, there is a, there is a twist. There is a reveal. Uh, yeah. No. The, the twist is all cops are <laughs> bastards. So it's not going to be too shocking. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, and also, I mean, 
hottie of the movie uh and trade of the movie ruben <laughs> looking pissed giving a hell of a performance uh what's the actor's name bernie casey well he's just doing fabulous work uh yes yeah he's great as the sort of the, the love interest slash male lead kind of although he doesn't get that much to do um, no no he's he's the uh what the head of the bns house yes yeah and also kind of like a community leader um uh, and yeah, he rallies the troops, I suppose, towards the end. But I don't know. There's just something really compelling about watching him. Yeah, and something great about the relationship. We'll get into it more between Ruben and Cleopatra. And the fact that just straight off the bat, they're establishing that, oh, Cleopatra Jones doesn't just go around like the world kicking the asses of bad guys. She has set up a charitable phone foundation in her hometown <laughs> to help kids. And it's like, that's, oh, she's a genuine hero. Like, she's yeah, not J- just... James Bond would never. <laughs> never. Not, not for one minute. The police captain is furious that someone went over his head and ordered the raid of B&S house. He calls Jones and she flies back to LA, but mummy's goons are waiting for her at the airport. Cleopatra fights back, killing one of the assassins. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> I I want to talk about that action scene at the airport, which is incredible. But first of all, I like, question mark, this captain. He, he has, like, so much respect for Cleo that it's honestly yeah. unbelievable and entertaining. And it really, really pays off at the literal end of the film. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the captain is actually like a really likable character and he has so much respect and deference towards Cleopatra Jones that it does feel like revolutionary. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. It, it's, and it's doing a couple of things. First of all, it's part of the, like the legend of Cleopatra Jones. Um, but also I think it's to create that contrast that, oh, if we have one good cop, then it kind of explains everything else that's happening in the movie. Um, so, you well, know, Andrew, a- I hate to tell you there are no good cops. <laughs> but you're right they're, like they do set it up so that you know she has someone on, on her side yeah. there is a government representative essentially who is uh you know working with her giving her instructions uh it's her m essentially is yes uh captain lou yeah it, it is a narrative fantasy a full fantasy the idea that the, <laughs> this police captain is telling off his officers for using racial slurs in the bullpen is like yeah that that has never happened <laughs> no 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 no. there are a lot of hard r's in this film by the way <laughs> yes yeah one of the goons that we meet i think is english um he's super <laughs> gross i mean all of the, go- the goons are kind of gross except for sweet satin brucey he's the only mm. one i only one i like um there are some weird english people in this movie um, yes. oh we will get to it we've met yeah. we've met two of them but not the biggest one the the, the, <laughs> the the general at the start and this uh lanky goon um but yeah we'll, we'll get to number three um he deserves some time i think i think so <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah this this goon you're talking about um oh they couldn't get rid of him fast enough. In my opinion. <laughs> uh, but I mean, let's talk about this airport scene. Cleo yes. kind of evades the uh, this guy and uh, the other goon as they're chasing her through the airport arrivals. Uh, and they lose her and they're waiting at the baggage carousel. Mm-hmm. And doesn't she swoop in with this red hat and scarf <laughs> combo on the carousel like 
everyone else is watching their lug- luggage and seeing this six foot two black woman <laughs> in furs and a hat and scarf come around the corner and these two guys are oblivious and my god does she kick the ever living shit out of them <laughs> yeah literally standing on the luggage carousel um just like she does some great standing in this movie yeah. <laughs> like a model like a model yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> it's like she's done it before somehow yeah. um yeah i love love that she had that sort of her hat was literally a scarf and then a sort of crown a rim that goes over the <laughs> scarf great fashion choice i almost wish mm-hmm. that that rim was like a, a like a metal like razor edged, edged instrument oh, of right. death or something oh. like there's it, a few times where she wears accessories on her hat or on her head yeah where I, i'm thinking oh she's gonna use that to kill <laughs> someone and no it's just fashion baby it's just fashion <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this airport fight is straight out of a Bond movie. There's fist fight, guns whip out, a crowd uh, gets shot at, and she ends up taking out one of the goons as the other two, including the English one, escape. Um, and the cops run into the airport, and what does she do? She literally <laughs> flashes her license to kill at the cops yes. and walks away without saying a word. She has a signed <laughs> note from the president. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Oh, this is... Don't worry about her. This is Cleo. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so wonderful. So Jones calls the chief from her LA home and demands a meeting to deliver answers on the raid. Uh, the chief lists the rap of these guys that they just caught. He says assault with a deadly weapon, armed robbery, attempted rape. Well, what the hell? Nobody's perfect. Like, damn, the 70s were tough for everyone who wasn't a white man. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess it, it's another cap- police captain would have recruited them at that point. <laughs> uh, this scene where, where Jones calls the chief, it's a really, it's a short scene. I almost left it out of the recap, but I couldn't leave out talking oh, about Cleo's even. apartment. It's, it's just a whole <laughs> lifestyle. Her, the high ceilings, the arabesque windows and doors, these wall hangings, the ferns. It looks like she's drinking baby sham. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's huge. It's also a little cluttered, but I'm guessing that she's not there often. That's true. I'm a little into cluttercore, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, I like that when she calls into the chief, someone answers, line four, it's Cleo. She's hot. (laughs) How exactly? That could go so many different ways. Yeah. And also Lou kind of uh, a bit of an asshole and objectifying her, as I'm sure, as everyone is in this movie. Yes. Um, but he asks her how she's doing and she goes, my body's okay. And he goes, it's magnificent. <laughs> gross. Gross. <laughs> totally gross, Lou. Naturally, Mother is furious that her assassins failed. She decides she needs to reassert her power within the neighborhood, starting with bar owner Doodlebug, who has not been paying his protection racket fees. Uh, this is the second time that we open a scene with Shelley, where Shelley Winters just yelling at the camera uh, like she's Eureka in a RuPaul acting challenge. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Like, truly, the the word holler has never been more appropriate. <laughs> There's just like this guttural <laughs> R thing happening every time she says something. I love it. Um, and we, and this is when I started putting the pieces together in my notes, but for the second time, she goes, you're the only one around here who understands mommy. (laughs) To a different woman than the the Shedditude in the first scene. I was like, oh, that's not Ursula. That's, That's what's her, what's her? Goethe. Goethe. Uh, Shelley really 
knocking it out of the park again. Uh, Shelly wearing a brown wig this time, um, beating the crap out of her goons. <laughs> uh, we both put that she's performing at an 11. Uh, oh, literally. Oh my god, we actually literally wrote the same thing. Honestly, as I was going through this, I, I try... So, reader, Andrew is the A-type personality, and I am the C-plus, <laughs> barely passing type. Andrew does all of the notes. Andrew puts all of his notes in first. I try to do my best not to read his notes when I put my <laughs> in um and i just copy and paste from my from my little notes yeah. app um literally i i my eyes were wide as i wrote we wrote down like the same quotes <laughs> we had some of the same notes like we're on the same page on this movie it's fantastic we totally are <laughs> uh another great line from mommy i'm tired of being a pussycat oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah baby you are ever a pussycat right like you know that she is beating the crap out of her men all the time and sweet satin brucey is just trying to stop her from killing literally killing <laughs> her men he says mother please you'll break <laughs> we- him <laughs> <laughs> we need them uh like this must be the basis for mom from futurama right <laughs> maybe I yeah yeah <laughs> like there's so many parallels happening here <laughs> i i just love mommy i could i could have taken a whole mommy mother movie yes <laughs> Jones meets with the chief and one of the officers of the raid, Sergeant Kurt. They tell her that the DA is going to shut down B&S House because of the drugs found on a resident named Jimmy Beakers. So, yeah, stakes are raised. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a scene here briefly as Cleo is leaving her house where two men sort of say hi to her and then as she's walking away they just talk about her like body for like a minute and and like i honestly thought like are these are these people like cameos are these celebrities is this are we supposed to know them what is going on what is the significance of this scene i did not and 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 i guess it was just to have two men talk about how hot cleopatra jones is Literally, I think that was it. Like, as if we, the, we, the audience, need convincing, we can see with our eyes, or we can hear with our ears, or we can just <laughs> tell with our senses, this woman is hot. Yeah. You don't need to tell us for a whole minute. <laughs> I put in my notes that she serves looks, but also looks. Like, she can, <laughs> she can cut a man down with a glare. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, she gets in her car and, oh my god, does her license plate say <laughs> U.S. government Cleo? <laughs> like- it sure does. Uh, <laughs> the president probably gave her that license plate. I know? would imagine so. It, it came with the letter, uh, the license to kill. Um, yeah, and as she's driving away, a little kid in the street yells, right on, sweet sister. Um, <laughs> yeah, love it. He does. Yeah. Uh, I, this is where I just wrote that it's kind of incredible that... There exists a movie with a black heroine who's kicking the ass of police and, like, Russian mobsters, heroin <laughs> dealers at the same time. It, it's, uh, it was really surprising. We don't, we, even to this day, this feels so rare that we get yeah. to see this. Hey, my jurisdiction extends from Ankara, Turkey to Watts Tower, baby. Baby. <laughs> it's great. Oh, my God. Even Eichmann got a trial, Cleo. That is a great line. Yeah, when yeah. she's when she's uh, trying to shut down the captain and like, yeah. what did you do to stop this raid happening? It's like, even Eichmann got a trial. Eichmann got a trial. <laughs> so good. Uh, just, I mean, yeah, the dialogue in this movie uh, makes me cackle. Um. Yeah, yeah, really great writing. Uh, Jones visits B&S and reunites with her lover, Reuben, who runs the house. Reuben is ready to fight if they come to close down the house. But Cleo asks for 72 hours to deal with this, just like a Bond novel, actually. (laughs) Very much so, yeah. Yeah, the the movie 
passes the Bechdel test about 20 minutes in with this conversation that Cleo has with Annie in the stairwell. Um, They're just talking about, like, B&S House. They're not talking about a man. They both have names. Um, Annie doesn't really come back, but it does pass the Bechdel test years before the Bechdel test was a thing. Yeah, and I found it interesting that she... that. Uh, Cleo actually kind of faces a little consequence yes. for working with the cops. Yes. Uh, she's, she's actually considered an outsider, uh, amongst her, this neighbor of hers, an, a fellow black woman is yeah. mistrustful of Cleo because she's actually working with them. And, you know, we, we know that Cleo is the hero of this film, but I don't know. I think Annie has a point. <laughs> yeah, she totally does. And yeah, and it just to see that detail and that nuance in a movie like this is like, oh. That's oh, really interesting. We're acknowledging it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we there's some more real shit happening just upstairs mm-hmm. in that withdrawal room. Oh my god, it was like watching a documentary for a moment. It was real. Yeah, really great performance by the kid who is sort of going through cold turkey in the bed and just, you know, Ruben's gravitas in that scene as well. Mm. Like it yeah, it really brings home the reality of what Cleo is fighting against. Yeah, yeah, really beautiful stuff. Um, and then, like, there's black art on the walls, and they're talking about defending an addiction recovery center. <laughs> there's this strong sensual love between a black man and a black woman. This is just clearly not a Bond film. <laughs> this is all, like, black liberation and black feminism at the height of all of that movement. Yeah. Um, of which we're still in the middle of, it feels like. But, oh my god, it just, it was profound there's something really cool about seeing this presented in a loving way and i know it's black exploitation and part of this is that you know these communities don't actually didn't a- ever get any of the profit that these films saw yeah but you know we always say there's something to be said for representation on screen and uh you know even though there are a lot of white people making this film there's definitely some uh loving touches from black creators as well I think so. I'm, I, I feel certain that there must have been some, some uncredited input and even mm. just having, you know, actors, you know, there, there is always a black person on the screen in this movie. Often there are scenes just between black actors. And so they will have had some input, I think, on a movie like this. I certainly hope that's the case. I and hope. It certainly yeah, has, I want to hope. It has those fingerprints on it. Like if you, there are things that you feel like, a white person did not come up with without talking to a black person about it first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and just to close all of this out, I wish we still referred to each other as cats. <laughs> I really want to bring it back, Andrew. <laughs> um, that that way it ends in the heavy side layer, uh, Shane. So, mm, you know, no, no. Be careful oh, no, what you no, wish no. for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a jellicle cat. Assassins try to shoot Jones and they clip Reuben. Jones goes after the gunmen and catches them disguised as an elderly couple who she then shoots dead. I mean, what a shocking shootout on the lawn. <laughs> right? And she opens up her car door and there's a gun shop in the side <laughs> panel. Like this. Now this is a Bond film, right? <laughs> she, yeah, she has, she has some gadgets. Um, and she's just totally fearless like literally she's on an yeah. open lawn in front of a building being shot at and she's just like she just takes a knee and shoots back and like <laughs> she's not worried <laughs> no no she is not wearing clothes that are you know useful in this situation very heavy yeah heavy clothes i feel like oh everything about her is big like she's six foot tall she has an afro she's wearing a fur coat and flares and cuban heels <laughs> like she could not be a bigger target in that moment and she's like ah. Eh. I'm okay. (laughs) And also, she chases this couple, and they come 
downstairs in the worst old person drag <laughs> I think I've ever seen. Yeah. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, like as soon as you see these people in this sort of terrible pancake makeup and wigs, you're like, okay, th- is this bad makeup in the movie or is this bad makeup in the <laughs> yeah, story? I, I definitely questioned for a moment. I was like, no, surely they're not trying to pass this off. Uh, and and no, they weren't. I, no, no. I also, like Cleopatra, would have sussed it out too. <laughs> and she instantly shoots them dead. <laughs> yes, like like just blast them through a door. Uh, great, great moment. Um, terrible drag. Great moment. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we, we've said that a lot in... Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) (laughs) Bar owner Doodlebug is reconsidering his allegiance to Mommy when Cleo drops by to ask about the drugs found at B&S. Doodlebug tells her that Jimmy bought the drugs from a dealer named Snake. So here we have Antonio Fargas in a star-making turn. Uh, A few years before, he would go on to play a very similar role on Starscreen Hutch. (laughs) Uh, Antonio Fargas is, of course, famous for playing Huggy Bear. Um, So he kind of played a a lot of these types of roles, and you can you can see why. Like he has he has a huge amount of charisma. He has he has this rubbery face that's incredibly expressive, and Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, like he he does that sort of jive talk thing uh, fluently well (laughs) and and he's just like i mean he's beautiful to look at Mm -hmm. he is so captivating and he's hilarious everything he said i like i just loved uh and not to mention this incredible cream colored ensemble that Mm -hmm. he's wearing this uh checkered jacket and matching cream colored pants the frilled shirt with the giant lapels the cane like Sure, this is a stereotype of a, like, what is essentially a pimp in these black exploitation yeah. films, but oh my god, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> outfit. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I love the, the, the bar as well. Like, it's shockingly mm. clean. Um, yeah. But it's a really nice, like, uh, vintage well what we now consider a vintage space <laughs> then it was just called furniture uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's, it's too nice to let people in there ruining that lovely uh, dance floor and, and, and all those <laughs> white furniture and things uh, well, uh, Andrew, I didn't know you had a cameo in this movie. How dare uh, but you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, into this wonderful snake pit comes, uh, Mattingly, the valet to Doodlebug, wearing this mustard, I don't know, valet suit? Yeah, like a chauffeur <laughs> suit that is, yeah, matching jacket and trousers, all in sort of a, a pungent mustard color, and he's wearing riding boots. Um, he is so swishy, like another, incidental homosexual um, oh yeah yeah swishy and english in a way that just delights uh doodlebug <laughs> yeah. and his his two goons and it's a really nice like subversion uh you know to to have to have a, a group of black people in a room laughing at a white person's behavior it, like it feels like a very deliberate choice but they made it an english white person so that it wouldn't offend the american audiences like we can all laugh uh, at the course, swishy englishman <laughs> um. <laughs> oh look at that englishman so laughable uh well i mean honestly it's a hilarious turn it's great mattingly uh it's it's great fodder for doodlebug um Anyways, in comes Cleo wearing this futuristic reflective blouse, am I right? <laughs> oh, it's great. What an amazing uh, uh, 
jacket she's wearing. And Miss Tiffany, um, Doodlebug's girlfriend, also walks in at one point. And she's wearing this gorgeous pink outfit with matching, like, soft beret and a jacket and pink flares and a pink top and a pink purse. Like, just Tiffany in pink. I absolutely love. <laughs> so many great lines in this scene. Um, the, the first one I called out was this the scene where one of the goons keeps saying, that's right, to everything anyone that's says. Right. That's, that's right. right. That's and, right. <laughs> and Doodlebug says, died of that's right aside. One more that's right. I'm about half a second off your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Uh, and I, we also wrote this. Uh, what, what, how does it start? Um, uh, if mummy wants trouble... I'm not exactly known as Rebecca of Sunnybook Farms. I died. I didn't understand it. I had to look it up. I, I thought they were talking about some commercial in the 70s. Right. Like, ooh, Sunnybrook Farms and Rebecca's their spokeswoman. No, no, no. It's a Shirley Temple film from like 1938. Right. And a, a novel before that, I think. Jones visits a local soul food restaurant to ask the owner, Mrs. Johnson, if she can recruit her boys for backup. She then goes to a nearby dojo to talk to the two Johnson brothers and assign them to follow a suspect cop. Uh, passing the Bechdel test again with the conversation yeah. with Mrs. Johnson here. Uh, good job, movie. Um, I'm trying to think of <laughs> any Bond movie that has passed the Bechdel test twice, maybe even once, is a stretch, you know? Yeah, honestly. Um <laughs> The the menu on the wall uh, looks intriguing. I do see uh, chitterling dinners mm-hmm. on the menu. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what I want for dinner, but it sounds uh, downright soul soul home food cooking. Yeah, like I, I I would definitely enjoy eating something in this restaurant. I love that. Oh yeah, the, the paper menu. Um, there's not there's there's very little food and drink in this movie, which is one thing where it really falls down on the sort of the the Bond comparisons. Um, but yeah, I I would love to have some like. Uh, some black beans and and uh, I think gumbo was the special of the day. Um, oh yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, I was a little wrong earlier. I thought that maybe the Cleo was an outsider, but it turns out Cleo actually fits in in her community, and she has like great human relationships yeah. and friendships and feelings. It's so unlike Bond, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Johnson is clearly running a card game in the back room of her restaurant, <laughs> and uh, and she, Mrs. Johnson's worried about Cleo shutting it down, but Cleo is not for one second thinking about shutting it down like this she's not here to to criminalize the behavior of people who are just part of the community exactly and who are just trying to survive yeah um i do want to just briefly tap on the fact that there's a slightly uncomfortable mammy vibe mm-hmm. in the mrs johnson character uh you know these movies uh lean into stereotypes particularly uh that derive from you know minstrel shows and um from blackface uh and so there is a little bit of that but as you said the fact that this movie passed the bechdel test the fact that mrs johnson is actually like essentially she's a three-dimensional character she runs a business which is a front she has uh she has boys who are part of her family or her uh her lot in life there there's like a full story to this mrs johnson character yeah. it's just un- like the portrayal uh like same with uh doodlebug and same with lou they're all really heavy character stereotypes yeah and and the character of of mrs johnson like 
she, you could have written her out of the movie completely if you didn't want mm-hmm. to use her. She doesn't really serve much of a, much of a function. No. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it is nice to have another black woman and to sort of establish that community stuff. Uh, she's played by Esther Roll, who is uh, known for playing the character Florida Evans on Maud and Good Times, two shows that I have not watched, but I think that does make the actor something of an institution. Um, right. Though both those shows, I think, were like after or around the same time. Maud was running like concurrently with Cleopatra Jones, so maybe that got her a role oh, in the movie. And then Good Times was after Cleopatra Jones. Well, let's talk about the Johnson brothers, am I right? <laughs> uh, first of all, black karate. Is there anything better than this combo? <laughs> this is why Goku is a black icon. Um, <laughs> And this, like, the way that Cleo uh, walks into their dojo and they all eye each other and they hop into a karate pose yeah. and stop for five seconds and then they just go into a low five. It's so cool and so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Johnson brothers are great characters. Um, really fun. They will, they will be, continue to be great value for money throughout the movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have our, He's not an incidental hottie, is he? He's a full-on no, hottie. No, no. I uh, feel very sexual about Melvin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Caro Kenyatta as Melvin Johnson. Just, I mean, uh, beautiful, beautiful man. Uh, oh, yeah. A pleasure to, to spend time with throughout this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, great, great character, great vibe, great delivery. Uh, the, way, the way he, like, sees Cleo out. I'll, I'll give you the line. You wrote it down. But <laughs> Oh, yes. Um God bless you, child, for the beautiful work you've been doing for our people. And it's oh, like... <laughs> heartbreaking, and he's just so enthusiastic. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and at the same time, he's checking out her ass. So it has, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It has a couple of levels. It's, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so great. <laughs> uh, Melvin Johnson, you're our star of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for information on Doodlebug's girlfriend, Tiffany, Jones questions her brother Andy at a motorbike rally where he's competing. He doesn't want to talk to her, but he's impressed when she climbs on a motorbike to follow him and beats his time. Of course. And just like a Bond movie, we get to spend a day at a very (laughs) niche sporting event. Right. (laughs) Um, It's such a weird scene because, again, the character of Andy doesn't really propel the story forward. No, no, no. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of characters in this movie Uh, that don't really go many places. Yeah, he will come back and he sort of Mm -hmm. does provide a beat but it's still very incidental but uh, he's an incidental arty and he's and he's another uh nice bit of eye candy for the movie mm-hmm. so. agreed um <laughs> the, I, i'm not quite sure what the actual challenge of uh this motorbike ride is they essentially just do a straightforward climb up a hill yeah. in less than 20 seconds yeah. um yeah <laughs> okay great but there seems to be so much happening after they get to the top of this hill. The the bu- there's still a lot of bikes circling in the background. Is there more of a chorus, <laughs> or was that just like the first leg? I I'm not quite sure what the challenge is here. Very unclear. I feel like the main point of this scene was to have Cleopatra Jones get on a motorbike and ride it. Um, just, oh, and does she? <laughs> just so that we can see that she can do these things, that she can charm a man out of his motorbike, and so that she can wear this fabulous outfit with this sort of caftan turban combo yeah like the 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 turban which has like this silver uh pointy hat bit underneath it like (laughs) yes it's it's great it's gorgeous and just like bond she beats everyone else's time with ease uh and every outfit and every reveal is just absolute perfection so (laughs) yeah 
Cleo returns to check on Ruben, who's recovering from his gunshot wound. They make love. Uh, this is where we get another great track, It Hurts So Good by Millie mm. Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, they play the whole song. Um, oh, yeah. And we get this gorgeous, like, love scene, which is, you know, the highest contrast to a Bond movie. It's like fidelity and yeah. affection between two people um, who only have eyes for each other. It's like, it's real intimacy and love. And it's so lovely to see. <laughs> And it's long, yeah. <laughs> and it's long, and yeah. it's, it's a really tight close-up on a kiss. Yeah. Like, okay, I feel like I'm intruding at this point. Right. Also, there's a lot of dangling jewelry sounds coming <laughs> uh, at the top of this as they're like trying to remove all of Cleo's heavy, heavy jewelry. <laughs> she, The woman knows how to accessorize. She knows how to layer. I mean, mm-hmm. the, this scene starts with her like striding out of her car wearing like a cape. She has coats on coats on coats. Like, it's mm-hmm. amazing. She, she really, she really... Like, like she's like a full-on Barbie doll. Like I mean, absolutely. Again, she's a model. This is a woman they wanted to put in clothes. And um, yeah, shout out to Giorgio de Sant'Angelo doing God's own work. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This movie is just a vehicle for fashion. Yes. <laughs> Doodlebug meets with mommy to announce his plans to go solo and quit her operation, warning her that he's prepared to go to war if she comes after him. Oof, poor, poor move, Doodlebug. Ter- oh yeah, this. Bad idea to quit mommy. <laughs> mommy wearing a blonde wig here. Oh, and this gorgeous blue outfit with white ostrich trim and diamond and ruby, uh, like giant chunky necklace. And a face of baby doll makeup, like she's going for the full Shirley Temple kind of yeah. vibe. <laughs> we meet the third of her lovelies, Ursula, the only one around here who knows what mommy wants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Third time's a charm. Doodlebug calls mommy a super honky, and I also <laughs> want to bring that back. I feel like we need to bring that back because I think we all know a few super honkies. Um, I'm not sure that I get to call anyone a super honky, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a mattingly. Um, <laughs> as a honky. <laughs> Brucey here is wearing a big bow tie and a ruffled shirt. He's just, you know, oh, yeah. he gets a lovely fashion moment there. Um, and I really love the scene where Ursula is, is taking the tray of, of, glasses of wine to Doodlebug and she walks straight into the camera like it's going to be a 3D movie shot. Um, <laughs> Put on your glasses now! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy's assassins chase Jones in her 73 Corvette Stingray and the chase takes them into the Los Angeles River. Cleo, of course, outdrives her opponents. Nifty cassette player in that Corvette, man. <laughs> so cool. High tech. It's not an 8-track. <laughs> this is, Yeah, this scene is just a showcase for the Corvette, which is a beautiful car. I... Uh, yeah, I, for someone who does not want to do an episode on the Cars of Bond, <laughs> this absolutely would have been included in our uh, also-ran category. This is, <laughs> like, really, really awesome stuff. Great stunt driving. Uh, it's a great chase. That car is just so peppy and cool. It's it, Yeah, I mean, I, I like it better than I like most Bond cars, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I was a little worried about that scene where the TV repairman is, like, <gasps> screams for his life, and it's like, did they almost kill a guy in that uh, that's, scene? Like, right? That's one of those things that they talk about uh, Hollywood legends, like, like, you know, if someone accidentally gets hurt or if there's an accident in the stunt yeah. take, then they include it in the movie. Well, it looked like that guy legit jumped out of the way yes. uh, at <laughs> nearly being hit by a car. So insane. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like he was an actor, but who knows, maybe. <laughs> who knows? And, and even if he was an actor, he still almost died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dangerous stuff. Uh, this is when I realized that this movie was taking place in LA. I don't know why right. it took me so long. <laughs> I feel like they didn't say it. Yeah, the LA River is, is incredibly ubiquitous. If people don't know it by name, it is that big concrete um just artery running through the city that has been in like terminator Everything. and yeah 24 and, uh, you have uh, seen it a lot in a lot of movies the curse of la Clarona. Uh, <laughs> it is an ugly <laughs> ugly river because it is just like it looks like a car park it's ridiculous um this soundtrack oh wow i love 70s funk soundtracks with full horns and wah-wah guitar <laughs> mm-hmm. and violin it's so intense this scene they are hitting the wah-wah pedal and the brake pedal with equal enthusiasm i think um, oh honey there are no brakes uh <laughs> she goes through so many corvettes this way driving through the la river oh and she is delighted to be fucking guys up in this scene like oh she's, yeah the smile on her like she has a cheshire cat <laughs> smile this woman she yeah. is absolutely having the time of her life watching guys just die left right and <laughs> oh and it closes out with like just a terrific one-liner from the from the cops i guess who cannot keep up with her terrific <laughs> <laughs> that evening tiffany performs at a nightclub event hosted by don cornelius the johnson brothers stake out a corrupt cop who jones believes planted the drugs on jimmy so this scene is basically just there to have a musical number and a cameo yep, a mu- by don cornelius uh, yep. and frankie crocker who is a dj uh, who would have been very well known at the time um it adds nothing really nope. <laughs> not a damn thing <laughs> uh, like i don't even know if that's the the actor who plays tiffany i don't feel like that's her voice because she's a little sparrow of a woman and the voice that eventually comes out of her when she stops being overshadowed by the uh, backup singers is is pretty fierce so yes yeah it did not seem like the same person for sure (laughs) (laughs) um clubs in the 70s were pretty classy or at least they were just made of giant booths (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess if you're gonna have don cornelius hosting your your party you know this is the the host of soul train uh for those who don't know the name um so yes he was an iconic figure and is slick as hell and has one of those voices um and yeah i guess if he's gonna be running a, a, a club night then it's gonna look pretty great oh yeah it look great it does uh i did write though more cleopatra please uh i feel like uh cleo gets a scene and then we get five minutes without her right <laughs> yes it's true it's true um we, we do get a fair amount of doodlebug um for the the brief section of the movie he's in he does get a lot of screen time uh here he gets this really long walk to a joke with one of his uh, goons who is like singing along too loudly to the 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 act and it's like <laughs> it, it's just it's a really long beat and at one point the 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 goon like fumbles and delivers his line too early and they just kept the take in um, oh no oh no <laughs> it's like it's it's clumsy it's super clumsy meanwhile the johnson brothers are uh, staking out a porn theater and one of the movies on the uh, sign outside is the black broad jungle oh boy um, oh my goodness <laughs> wow bring back 70s porn theaters (laughs) i mean i think there's at least oh no that one got knocked down i was gonna say there is one still in toronto no no that's a condo building now (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh well there was a no no that's also a condo uh oh and then there oh no it's a starbucks oh no that closed and now it's a shopper's (laughs) one of them is a climbing gym so uh, pretty good climbing gym actually i've been there it's (laughs) it's, oh interesting it's a fun day (laughs) 
<laughs> I noted this just now, but it's uh, I think it's very telling that there are a lot of white embellishments on Doodlebug and his crew, and I guess it's because they're working with white people. It's very in your face when you think about it, but uh, <laughs> his crew, I guess, uh, yeah, they all have to have some kind of white on them. Huh. Anyways, heading home from the nightclub, Doodlebug is ambushed by Mommy's men in two tow trucks. Tiffany flees the crash site, and Doodlebug is shot dead in the street. Oh, tragic moment here. We not only lose Doodlebug, we also lose Mattingly. Um, the agency yeah. never warned him about this. <laughs> oh, poor Mattingly. Poor Mattingly. <laughs> oh, no. I hope that he had a good life insurance policy with these people. <laughs> uh, yeah, because of his wife and kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do I do love the... While, while they uh, the goons are taunting Mattingly as they drive away from the club, uh, Mattingly says, says to one of them, whose name is Pickles, You're out of sight, Mr. Pickles. I think you two gentlemen are having me on. Uh, <laughs> I think you're right, Mattingly. I think you're right. I think so. I think so. <laughs> Uh, these tow trucks genuinely terrifying. Like these are yeah. huge vehicles that just uh-huh. come in and like crush them. Uh, I wrote that this is another scene that feels too real. Yes. Uh, like it's actual, actually kind of scary. And then the like the execution style murder at the end. Oh, mm-hmm. it's a really rough end for Doodlebug. And a moment of real pathos there. The, the Doodlebug who has been obsessed with his hair the whole time. Like the last thing he does as he's dying is check his hair. Oh yeah. What a great moment what a great choice what a great character uh he snaps for doodlebug snaps for doodlebug um we get that lank english goon here again um and this is how we know he's english because he when they're looking for tiffany he says where's the bird the chick the bloody the chick. bloody chick <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> we get it you're english <laughs> cleo questions the drug dealer snake he insists that he didn't sell drugs to Jimmy and reveals that Doodlebug set him and Jones up to go after each other. Cleo pulls up to Snake's uh, neighborhood and she gets a pretty good deal for car protection in the form <laughs> of one dollar and seven boys. <laughs> yes, it's uh, Maxwell Woodman, um, who I feel like if, <laughs> if this movie had gone on to be a successful franchise, he, he should have come back as like a sidekick because this is a, a mouthy little kid who is uh, really giving his all. It's great. It's a beautiful scene. <laughs> Uh, she's wearing another stunning outfit with mm-hmm. her black robe. There's like blue shoulders. It's all lined with red trim. And she's wearing this white hat with what appear to be miniature daggers uh, <laughs> sticking, sticking out the side as an embellishment, right, which um, I really thought she was going to use to hurt someone. <laughs> and a pheasant feather that is just reaching into infinity. It's um, <laughs> great. This this whole scene with this uh, where she tortures the, the, the pusher by tearing up his clothes. Um, oh my god. She's really looking fun. at those heels as, as if she may take some with her after <laughs> she's done. Uh, <laughs> she, she'll probably have some made for her, you know. She's, yeah. she's not going to wear another person's clothes. She, she gets right. everything bespoke. And, and she doesn't. She also doesn't do drugs. She, she doesn't want any of that fancy hidden heel shit. Right. Um, that's true. And uh, I, this is a very effective scared straight program of just going into a guy's house and destroying his outfits. Um, oh, yeah. Just flushing heroin down flushing the drain. Flushing heroin yeah. down the drain. Um, he insists he only deals in light shit, by which he means grass and pills and poppers. 
There um, is no light shit, brother <laughs> snake, she says. Oh, it's cold, it's beautiful. This is this is where you and Cleopatra Jones may have a falling out, that she doesn't go for grass and pills and poppers. Uh, well, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> poppers? Cleo, come on, have you tried them on the dance floor? <laughs> oh, I don't think we mean the same thing. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> but come on, grass and pills? Who's that harm? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the drug dealer gr- does give a great ap- ap- uh, performance. His fluster is uh, really genuine, and he has amazing yeah. teeth for a drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> right. Really, not <laughs> not stained or broken at all. I'm impressed. <laughs> uh, that is so wrong of me. I know so many wonderful drug dealers who are great people <laughs> and have great teeth. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in the seventies things were a little worse. Um, I guess so. Um, and Maxwell Woodman really uh, closes out the scene uh, as she gets in her car and she makes a call. He goes, oh, "A phone in your car? <laughs> Unheard of! Can you believe?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cleo and the Johnson brothers go after the corrupt cop, catching him selling confiscated firearms. They hand him over to the chief, but the cop maintains that he didn't plant the drugs at B&S house. Hell of a line here from from uh, the corrupt cop who, when he sees Cleopatra, says, Wonder Woman, you silly bitch. I mean, that is a sure way to get your ass kicked by Wonder Woman. Oh, it sure is. Uh, yeah, and he does. He gets thrown through a building, basically. Oh, she kicks <laughs> so much ass in this film. We get this incredible slow motion, screaming high kick <laughs> to the back. It's like, it's... Um, the the corrupt cop tries to basically hold the Johnson brothers at gunpoint, which means they don't get to do very much in the scene except be in it. But I love yeah. that they just like they just razz the guy. Like he he's threatening to shoot them, and they're just like laughing at him. Um, iconic, iconic scenes. Yeah, really good. <laughs> uh, just and also more Melvin Johnson, please. <laughs> As uh, things are ramping up, we can feel the end is coming close. Yeah. Uh, Cleo makes one last call to Lou. For permission and they end their conversation uh you know lou is warning her not to go too far and he goes cleo and she goes lou <laughs> and there's a moment of silence and he goes all right be careful <laughs> oh, okay uh, it's all unsaid <laughs> literally yeah, yeah. everything is unsaid <laughs> this is also the scene where lou says to to kurt kurt you ever have feelings of inadequacy? <laughs> Cleopatra Very Jones. airplane uh, style comedy yes. here. Yes. <laughs> uh, learning that Doodlebug is dead, Jones questions Andy about Tiffany's whereabouts and finds her hiding out at a local church. But Jones is betrayed by Sergeant Kurt, who captures Jones and Tiffany. Kurt reveals that he was working for Mommy the whole time, and he was the one who planted the drugs on Jimmy. <laughs> of course, the cop... Uh is corrupt because all cops are bastards. Yes. Um, (laughs) Uh, Not totally clear to me why Mummy's men want to kill Tiffany, really, or what Cleo is doing trying to... I mean, Cleo's protecting her because that's what she does. But I don't think Tiffany has any information that is useful to anyone in this entire operation. And if she just left town, no one would suffer for it. Yeah. I mean, I guess you just want to tie up all those loose ends, but it really feels a bit of a stretch. Um, And... Tiffany is, maybe she just needs to chill out a little. She's like really freaking out right away. Just stick with Cleo. Cleo can literally karate chop her way out of anything. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Cleo is not rattled, even though she is taken at gunpoint. She's fine. In fact, she says to Kurt, you're beautiful, Kurt. And I I don't know what that line was meant to convey. Like after she has been betrayed by this man, she says, you're beautiful. And it's like, is she, is it sarcasm? 
Did she mean to say you're pitiful? Maybe? I don't know. I was very confused. And I no longer have the rental, so I can't check the line. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Cleo and Tiffany are taken to meet Mommy at a wrecking yard. Mommy punishes one of her own men for failing her by putting him in the car crusher. This is Tony, the British goon, who has big Tommy Wiseau energy. Um, <laughs> it is not clear to me why he doesn't just jump out of the car. I mean, he does put on the seatbelt, but you can undo seatbelts. Like, that's one of their features. Right. Literally could have just undone his seatbelt, is what I wrote. I, I, I'm so confused as to why he's letting himself get murdered. I mean, it does serve to establish the stakes, you know. That's the only thing. Like, we get to see someone put through a car crusher, um, which is, you know, good to see because it does show us that car crushers kill people, um, in case yeah. we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> if you hadn't seen Goldfinger. <laughs> Tony here, his final lines are to yelling at Mummy, Oh, you fat, slimy, blubbery bitch. Oh, Tony, yikes. damn. I mean, damn. <laughs> we, we didn't like having you around, but we're super happy to see you go now. Like, <laughs> I mean, the the end of this mo- movie has a bit more fat phobia than I was expecting. Yes, actually. it really does. Um, <laughs> um, I, I can't really I, I can't believe that this is the first time that these two are sorry, that mommy and Cleopatra are confronting each other yeah. for the first time or that they're even just talking to each other for the first time. It feels so late in the movie to confront the the main villain. It made me really aware of why we have that Bond convention of Bond and the uh, the villain meeting <sighs> in some sort of like dignified situation where they can't kill each other first. Mm-hmm. You know, that, in public or yeah. That scene um, is super important because it creates the, the, the thing that they're going to pay off in this end conference you have to make sure they get a face-to-face and we re- it does really feel like we were robbed of some great like uh tamara dobson shelley winters time yeah exactly there was i think there would have been some fun chemistry to play off of there that yeah it just doesn't pay off and it also kind of uh takes a bit of the edge off uh of the climax of this film i will say but we're not there yet we're not there yet no and i do want to call out we don't get another one of the girlfriends for mommy but we do get another red wig and we do get her in like a, a leather <laughs> jacket like a, a leather mm. leather trench coat and she's like yeah. wielding a cane like it's a it's a look it's a choice it's a look <laughs> <laughs> Mommy plans to crush Tiffany and Cleo, but Reuben comes to the rescue and the rest of the B&S crew rush into the wrecking yard to confront Mommy and her men. So this is where Cleo gets to uh, gets her fat phobic line where she says, no way, fatso, to Mommy. Um, yeah, otherwise she's been A-plus in this entire movie, in right? the scene. Um, but yeah, I mean, come on, low blow. James Bond would have said worse, though, so, you know. This is true, this is true. <laughs> um, Cleo remains unflappable, even though she doesn't know the cavalry <laughs> is coming. Um, mm-hmm. On the one hand, I was a little sad that, that this was a cavalry rescue ending. You know, Cleo doesn't get to be her own salvation. On the other hand, it does, like, work thematically that the community rallies around Cleo to save her because she she is being paid back for what she's given, you know? that's That works. Exactly. I feel like this movie is about black community uh yeah. working for each other helping each other lifting each other up so it you're right it does make sense thematically but uh, cleo kicks so much ass i did want to <laughs> see her take on a bit more before we did get that moment yeah there are some nice moments here like using the the crane magnet to, to steal the guns out of people's hands um having a, a crane to, to to just carry cleo from one location to another right <laughs> it's like it's some pretty cute like stuff um, Ruben, the real trade of the movie and his construction drag, no less. I love that he puts on a safety helmet to operate the crane. Yeah. He's like, health and safety first. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a union man. I, I know what I need. Uh, Shelly can really run. I, I was like, there was some real speed happening in these chase scenes. Right? Especially and, in that tight jacket. I mean, yeah. Goodness. That it looked heavy, that that leather trench coat. So yeah, it's uh good for her. Ruben knocks out Kurt in the final fight, and Cleo fights Mummy and then throws her to her death from a high gantry. Holy shit, Cleo, you can't just throw people to their death. <laughs> right? God damn. <laughs> um I mean, maybe deserved. We do get uh, an N-word in the woodpile joke, which mm-hmm. ugh, just brings back so many terrible memories for me. I mean, delivered by uh, one of the Johnson brothers, so it's not... It's, oh, right, yes, of course. Not <laughs> not at their expense, but... Uh, no, no. But, by them, but at the same time, yeah, it is like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ruben, when he knocks out Kurt, gets, he goes, to protect and serve? Shit. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, and and I do love the convention here of like, well, the villain is female and the hero is female, and so we have to have the sidekick fight, but it's between two yes. guys. So it's like <laughs> it's playing off the sort of the usual conventions there. Love that, but yeah, uh, I must say, anticlimactic end to mommy yeah. just falling over. I feel like oh, she wasn't falling; she was pushed. <laughs> <laughs> right, started falling over. <laughs> Whoops! Uh, I accidentally helped you commit suicide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted more confrontation between the two. I needed more yeah, of a build yeah. up to that scene. I needed another set piece, uh, in like that, in that scene, you know? There needed to be some kind of movement that wasn't there. Yeah, they, for it to really land. There could have been a whole conversation about the whole, like, the, the two women and their relationships to this community. Like, you know, one yeah, of them. Yeah, to their communities. One of them lives outside the community, but does everything she can to help it. And the other one is right in the middle, like, creating a, a, tumor in the community but feels like she belongs to it or that it belongs to her like that's a really interesting dynamic that is the dynamic of these two characters but i think a conversation to play that out would have been great are we gonna rewrite this movie (laughs) you can i don't think i should Uh, (laughs) i think white people writing cleopatra jones movies is a thing in the past you know (laughs) (laughs) thank god Everyone having been successful, Reuben throws a party at the B&S house to wish Joneswell on her next mission. Everyone cheers for Cleo as she drives away. Uh, we get a nice beat here where Jimmy Beakers does a, like a little double fist pump to thank Cleo for saving his <laughs> life, um, mm-hmm. saving him from prison. And it's like, that's, that's actually like, it, it's such a, an important thing to just have that moment because this was a character who looked doomed. Like every... Yeah. Every beat of the movie made it look like, oh, this guy is going to either kill himself or go to prison. Be killed, yeah. Be killed. And any other movie, it feels like he would have been the sacrificial lamb of the story. And so to have him survive the whole movie and thank Cleo, it's like, oh, that's that was an important beat. Yeah, I really loved it. Um, it's It was wonderful to see things work out for black people in the end in this film am i right like the good people survive to the end yeah. and the bns gets to stay open and it it feels a bit more fiction than fact these days it really uh, does, how yeah. well it works out um oh my god cleo and these feathered braids uh <laughs> absolutely stunning once again it's it's it i wasn't sure i was in love with them but i did love the choice of them <laughs> okay i appreciate that <laughs> uh, melvin had the best outfit at the party for my liking mm, well, um, of course this sort of red jacket thing he looked great lou an honorary guest today i guess at this party <laughs> uh 
<laughs> very, very strange to invite your white uh, police chief boss <laughs> to your neighborhood block party. It looks like only one person has had a slice of that dry ass farewell cake. I'm guessing it was Lou. I think everyone else was like, this, yeah. this looks like it came out of a box. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to the white person. How long this time, baby? Until it's finished. I mean, <laughs> she's so cool. Right on, Cleo. Right on. <laughs> Oh, they all say, oh my god, I forgot. The final <laughs> At the very note end, of the movie. They are all wishing Cleo, uh, they are all saying goodbye. Right on, Cleo, right on, Cleo. You go, Cleo. And then Lou gives the black power fist and he goes, right on, Cleo. And I, <laughs> no, Lou, no, 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 no. You just, you just wave goodbye and sit silently. <laughs> I think Melvin like gives him a slap on the shoulder in that final like, freeze frame moment. It's great. It's great. Anyway, it was hilarious. It really paid off. <laughs> <laughs> Cleopatra Jones will return. So uh, what do you uh, think, Shane? Do we need to return to the world of Cleopatra Jones? Because there is one more movie in the franchise. All I can say is welcome to Cleo, Cleo, Bang, Bang, the queer Cleopatra <laughs> Jones Bond cast. Uh, there is only one more Cleopatra Jones movie. So, uh, you know, we, we may have to pass out those treats until the until the new one gets made. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I honestly cannot wait to cover the second one. Maybe, maybe we'll save it for, uh, Black History Month, uh, 2022. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I will give you one piece of good news. The Johnson brothers also return. Oh, that is great news. Well, speaking of Johnson Brothers, should we get to our highlights, lowlights of the week? Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, the Johnson brothers are my highlight. I love those characters. I mean, you know. First and foremost, Cleopatra Jones, of course, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, to pick and it's something other than Cleopatra Jones, I'm going with the Johnson Brothers because they are such funny characters, so fun and like such great sort of sidekick characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you took it. You took the words out of my mouth. I, I wrote Black Karate first. Uh, the Johnson Brothers, amazing, and just like. I mean, I don't know, there's something hilariously synonymous with black culture and karate, uh, particularly dating from this time, but even up until now, and I just love seeing, like, the beginnings of it. Um, but more importantly, black women, black woman kicking <laughs> ass, uh, it's really, really awesome to see on the big screen. There's so, there's far too few, uh, movies that represent that and i think this is this was a really awesome way to do it i loved it yeah um yeah my low light is that there's only two of these movies like that's my <laughs> that's my meta low light the fact that the, the cleopatra jones fran franchise did not go on to spawn an incredible uh franchise over like 50 years yeah i i mean i agree my i my low light is was honestly a little nitpicky because uh, I really enjoyed this movie, but I did think that they leaned into some stereotypes that can be uncomfortable to watch, uh, particularly in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Doodlebug, Mrs. Johnson, the restaurant owner, the, the mother, quote-unquote mother to the Johnson brothers. Uh, there, there's some stereotyping in there, uh, but I mean, for the most part, I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. What would about the fashion highlight of which there are just so many in this film? So many, hard to narrow it down. I did eventually settle on Cleo's biking outfit, this sort of camel-colored jodhpurs, this billowy silk blouse and the turban with the sort of silver crown in the middle. Um, the moment she takes off her jacket and you see this sort of, this blouse that she's barely wearing, it looks like it's basically titty-taped in place. Um, mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful outfit. What about you? Um, I wrote the biking captain and turban combo, but <laughs> mostly that opening scene, the fur cape, the poise, uh, <laughs> 
everything in this movie is a fashion highlight. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Doodlebug's cream colored entrance look as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, queerest moment of the movie. Oh, mommy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be, yeah, literally there is a queer villain uh, front and center in this movie and Shelley Winters giving a phenomenal performance as as mommy. Um, I will also give a, a shout out to Sweet Satin Brucey, who I feel is mm-hmm. really underused. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Uh, how about the sexiest moment for you? I gave sexiest moment to uh, loving consensual intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you love to see it. You never do. Uh- <laughs> I legitimately cackled reading that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Melvin Johnson is the sexiest part of this entire film for me. Yeah, no fair. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right. Like the fact that there actually is consensual intimacy in a Bond film. Uh, in, in not a Bond film. <laughs> you wish. Um, I wish. <laughs> best line or gag of the movie? Oh, so many to choose from. Uh, I really like Nothing Smells Worse Than a Rotten Cop. I'm going to keep that one for myself. <laughs> uh, that the acknowledgement between Cleo and Luke. Uh, Cleo? Lou? All right, be careful. I really like that. Um, and I just love when she's confronting uh, the drug dealer Snake. There is no light shit, brother Snake. It's so, <laughs> so sinister and cool. Uh, yeah, but there's so many to choose from. How about so for you? So many, yeah. Um I'll throw a couple more out there. Just the every time that that mummy says to one of her girls, "You're the only one who understands me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great so repeating good. beat, really good. Um, yeah. And also Lou saying, "Cleo, even Eichmann got a trial." <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guffawed. I guffawed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about most timeless or relevant moment? I I gotta say, I, another line actually um, felt really relevant. What about those doors? You got a warrant to kick those in, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah damn right get a warrant if you want to fucking break open my door uh this is how so many black people die in the u.s by cops just busting down doors and firing and asking questions later we saw it with brianna taylor most uh most visibly in our collective memory yeah um but yeah everything corrupt cops black women having to do the heavy lifting in our society that still feels so relevant, plus the power that comes with blackness and the hate that that fuels. Ugh, that's some timeless shit. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be the cops. Like, uh, that stuff is absolutely timeless and relevant. But the specific thing I wanted to call out is, even though I've seen this movie before, I'd forgotten about the Kurt double-cross, the fact that mm. the sort of nice guy cop that's been with Cleo for, for the whole movie, you know, on her side for the whole movie, turns out to be the one that planted the drugs. Um, it feels like a very useful reminder that the cops are not your friends. The cops are never your friends. When a cop is being friendly to you, uh, it's because they're trying to get something from you or do something to you yep that's right they're just tools of the state to protect private stolen property for cringiest moment mm-hmm. that, i mean again difficult i really had to dig deep but I, i'm gonna say the thing that like just actually literally made me cringe was hearing some real hard r's on <laughs> some of those n-words uh it is something that I feel I have been thankfully insulated from a lot in my life. Um, I, as a white passing black person, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't often get the hard R directed towards me. Uh, it was, there was a lot of that here. Yeah. Some of the language is obviously tough to watch. Some of the things coming out of Shelley Winter's mouth are, you know, 
she, because of the ferocity of her performance, it feels very real, even though the character is sort of a cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, finding a cringy moment for this movie, genuinely kind of hard. I, I mean, you know, the, it does so many things well and so many things that it's like holding it to that standard when we don't hold other movies to that standard would seem unfair. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, so I did, the, like the one that I was going to call out, but I'm not even sure if it counts, is is like the fact that Mommy is this sort of, um stereotype sort of evil lesbian mm. character like it, that's not good representation it would be nice to see that counterbalance with something positive because the evil queers archetype is genuinely harmful but it's also mm-hmm. something that we as queer people often enjoy in movies because it gives us representation and it gives us there is a power in it so yeah i, I mean look at the whole love of queer code queer coded disney villains yes. like we're talking about cartoons like ursula um and uh hades uh like these are all gay icons in our minds right. but they're not really written with us our with our love in mind no um so yeah it's worth calling out um but and and i can see why people that would be a thing that legitimately can make some viewers uncomfortable we have to say that there's like no sexual brutalization of women in this film nope it's it's so shocking <laughs> <laughs> to, to get to the end of the movie and realize oh that didn't none of that didn't happen no no woman you know the even, worst that even happens, tiffany who is kind of abducted is yeah. like we don't see her like hit by doodlebug she's never actually treated poorly she's kind of revered black women are revered in this movie they are uh and it, it's yeah it is mind-blowing <laughs> the, the women that mom mommy objectifies are all white women and even then it's like you know, they're it's, into it it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's slap on the ass stuff it's like it's not the way you should behave around a woman certainly not an employee either no um, no but you know she beats the living crap out of her male employees um, <laughs> so, so she is not a model uh, employer by any stretch of the imagination and uh, yes we are not we are not seeing women yeah being we do see women being objectified quite a lot including Cleo yes. um, but there is a reverence to it which I'm not saying to make it seem okay but to say that the place it comes from doesn't seem to be spiteful or or deliberately degrading towards women though the consequence of course is still to degrade women of course of course uh yeah it's also not a movie where i don't think do any black people die in this movie doodlebug dies oh, doodlebug and dies, his right. goons yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um but yeah otherwise everyone who gets shot who's a good black person survives <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah this, this movie is doing a lot of things that bond movies do not do uh, so in with that in mind, shall we get into our ratings? I think we have to. So we will give the movie a score of between one and three and then award bonus points from four categories. Those are Bond, Song, Glamour and Queerness. The maximum score available is, of course, 007. Shane, what are you giving this for your base score out of three points? I mean, Andrew, I'm going all in on this one. This was a three. This was the most fun Bond-like movie I've that we have watched in a while. Like, uh, I I really enjoyed uh, License to Kill uh, last time, but honestly, this was this was a great movie. This it's, is a three. It's such fun. Um, how many times did you end up watching it? Did you just get through it twice, or Twi- I did just watch it twice. Uh, I got it for the forty-eight hour yeah, yeah, period same, and. Same. But I think I'll probably see it again, and I honestly, I cannot wait to watch uh, number two. Um, I'm going to give this a three as well. Like, there's just very little 
like I I tried to think of things to pick holes in, but there's there's just not much there. I mean, yeah, Tamara Dobson is not the greatest actor. Um, Yeah, most Bonds aren't either. That's true. Yeah, Um, (laughs) and she does what she's been hired to do incredibly well, which is you know be statuesque and imposing and deliver some really great looks and lines. Um, Yeah, sell sex and wealth and yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so this is where the movie's going to struggle. Uh, how mm-hmm. well does it score on its Bond? Well, I mean, unfortunately, James Bond does not appear. He does uh, not appear. Uh, and as much as I would love to say Cleopatra is the Bond of this <laughs> film, uh, she's I think she's better than that. So I, uh, I'm not going to give this film the Bond point. Yeah, no, standard rules apply. If there isn't a Bond, you can't get the Bond point. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Cleo. I'm sorry. Uh, how about the song? Did the theme from Cleopatra Jones really tickle that opening theme song itch for you? It's like, on the one hand, it's not like, I wouldn't say it's like in the highest echelon of great movie themes or even of great mm. black exploitation movie themes. Mm. That's um, my problem with it. But it's good enough, I think, that like, I really enjoy it. I have been listening to it. Um, I would, I will continue to listen to it. So, um, I'm going to give it the point. It's, it, it, it's right on the bubble. What about you? <sighs> hmm. It's tough. I mean, it instantly evoked theme from Shaft yeah. for me, which is, uh, still one of the greatest movie theme songs one of the greatest songs ever written of the 20th centuries in my opinion it's like it's so incredibly bombastic and cool and weird that it was really hard for this to match up when it felt especially derivative of Mm. that uh however you're right like i enjoyed it i found myself listening to it and i will definitely listen to it again and because Maybe I'm just artificially inflating this score, but I'm going to give it the point. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like I know how the rest of this is going to go, to be honest. Glamour point, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just said a lot of words for the song. I'm just going to keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, of course it gets the glamour point. Have you seen this woman? Have you seen what she's wearing? <laughs> Have you seen her car? Uh, no, I'm asking you, have you seen this woman? <laughs> when I am talking about the car in a movie, you know it's getting the glamour point, because I don't give a crap about <laughs> exactly, cars. Exactly, exactly. It earned that point. And how can we not give it this last point, the queerness point? We literally have a queer villain, not a queer-coded villain. We have a queer villain. Uh, yeah, this is a queer movie. There, it gets a point. There is a queer character front and center. There's also Mattingly. There's also mm-hmm. Sweet Silken Brucie or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, satin. Sweet Satin Brucie. Sweet Satin Brucie. Um, you know, that that's at least three queer characters plus the, the moles, the three moles. Um, so I think that brings it, up, brings it up to a total of queer characters that is higher than all the Bond movies put together, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets the point. And that makes this one of our highest scoring <laughs> films to date, with a grand total of six out of 007. Uh, Cleopatra Jones, one of the greatest action films I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it, it's, it literally just falls down on not being a Bond movie um, by our Bond standards. So that gives yeah. you an idea of how much <laughs> we enjoyed this movie. <laughs> Oh my gosh, and I feel like we are heading into a great run, my friend. Do you want to tell them what we're doing next? Yeah, next time on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we are returning to the Connery canon for the second ever James Bond movie. It is 1963's From Russia With Love. 
Oh my god, I can't wait. I feel like we're about to hit another high score. Uh, you know, we we get to return to really picking apart some problematic elements from mm-hmm. the film canon, but we also get one of the greatest stories ever told in cinema. So I can't wait to talk more about and, it. And we're going straight from one lesbian arch-villain to another lesbian arch-villain. <gasps> what a theme. Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it. Well... <laughs> you can follow Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on Twitter and Instagram at KKBBPod or send us lovely messages at KissKissBangBangPod at gmail.com. Uh, just want to give a quick shout out to Rob Cave, who follows us on Twitter. You're always interacting with us. We love reading your comments and hearing your suggestions. Keep them up. Uh, you can also follow our individual Twitter accounts at Wheeler and at Shane Came Back. And please share, like, rate, and review Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on your preferred podcasting and social media platforms. Our graphics are provided by the incredibly talented Carl Shura, and you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Carl Shura. That's C-A-R-L-S-H-U-R-A. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded territory. As you know, we like to end every single episode with a great piece of Bond-related music. And Andrew, what are we signing off with this week? Well, I felt like it was a good idea to dig deeper into the Joe Simon canon. He, of course, sings the theme from Cleopatra Jones. He's a phenomenal gospel singer, um, and he moved into disco with this track, Get Down, Get Down, (laughs) open parentheses, Get on the Floor, close parentheses. Um, (laughs) It is a kind of goofy use of Simon's very distinctive sort of throttled vocals with lyrics that mention kung fu bumping and shaking what you can, and this is certainly a movie (laughs) with some kung fu bumping and some shaking what you can. Um, it has an irresistible groove that guarantees it a spot in my cooking music rotation, which is the highest honor that I can give. So, uh, yeah, enjoy some Joe Simon gospel disco groove. gospel disco groove is exactly what this is it's hard to encapsulate all three of those things at once but joe simon has somehow done it i feel like we're watching blues brothers right now and they're in a car ride going down route 66 i love the cover of this album get down it's incredible it's just a black woman laid flat on her chest staring up at a camera with a giant afro and red and gold pearls on either side of her uh, yeah, this is a great groove. Thanks for introducing me to it. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Until next time, kiss, kiss, bang, bang.